0: Uh, Most of you have probably heard me share at some time or other that I really enjoy watching cooking shows. It it is one of my favorite things to watch. And one of my favorite types of cooking-related shows are the ones where some uh, experienced and wildly successful and internationally known restaurateur goes into a struggling restaurant and tries to help them get back on the right track. Uh, maybe uh, some of you have seen, uh, Restra- I think it's called Restaurant Impossible with Robert somebody, Irvine. You, you, you like these shows too, uh, with Robert Irvine. And the one that I've been watching recently is Gordon Ramsay's To Hell and Back. And uh, what Gordon Ramsay does is he secretly observes what's happening in a struggling restaurant uh, for a few weeks with hidden cameras that his uh, team has put in place. He also has people that work for him going into the restaurant, kind of experiencing what it's like over the period of of a few weeks. And then eventually he goes in undercover, uh, which is the worst part of the show because his disguises are ridiculous. Um, But he goes in undercover and he experiences the place firsthand. And and after confirming firsthand the reasons why the place is struggling, he stands up in the middle of the restaurant and he shuts the restaurant down. And he brings the staff and all of the customers out to a giant video screen where he shows both staff and customers all of the cringe worthy things that they have observed while they've been looking at this restaurant. And then what he does is he and his staff work with the staff of the restaurant for a 24-hour period to correct what has gone wrong. So they have people come in and redecorate the restaurant. Ramsey and his staff help the chef and kitchen staff by implementing a new menu. They'll often provide new kitchen equipment, a new point of sale, uh, new point of sale equipment. It is a top to bottom overhaul in 24 hours. And if you watch the show regularly, you pick up on a common theme that is usually at the root of why the restaurant isn't functioning correctly, why it's struggling. In many cases, these restaurants are about to go out of business. And what you find in almost every episode is that the root cause of the problems are dysfunction within the staff of the restaurant. Specifically, that there is some type of division that is preventing the place from functioning well. And the causes of the divisions can be, can be varied. Uh, sometimes it's a front-of-the-house manager who's refusing to cooperate in some way with the chef. Sometimes it is the head chef and the assistant chef who, for whatever reason, can't get along. And so their dysfunction just has horrible uh, uh, impact on the success of the restaurant. In most cases, the division has been permitted by an owner or a general manager who is either so burned out themselves that they've failed to deal with the problem, or in some cases they have allowed some affinity for one or both of the people that are causing the division to prevent them and stop them from taking the corrective action that's needed. But if you watch the show, you end up noting... That some sort of division is at the root of the problem of almost every restaurant that Gordon Ramsey goes to. You see this in all kinds of organizations. Uh, one of the places that we can see it uh, pretty readily is with sports teams. And, and we experienced this last year for those of you who are Browns fans. You watched this happen. There was tension between the head coach and some of the assistant coaches, especially the offensive coordinator. It resulted in a horrible start to what had been a promising season. And finally, when the general manager took control of the situation, he relieved those who couldn't work together of their responsibilities. Then the second half of the season was much better. Division within a team, a business, Or an organization is an awful thing. It's awful because it compromises effectiveness. As these examples I've shared demonstrate. And it's awful because it makes everyone involved miserable. There are different ways that division manifests. Sometimes there's open hostility between people. Where everybody is just right out in front with each other, that they're, they're not on the same page. Sometimes there's secret division, where someone acts on the surface like there's unity, but in a variety of ways that aren't obvious, they behave in divisive ways. There are cases where division occurs simply because someone's heart isn't in what they're doing. They probably don't even intend division, But it results in division because they're just not into whatever they're needing to cooperate with other people about. And so not being into it compromises the organization's effectiveness. Oftentimes, division is impossible for anyone to actually observe. No one even knows it exists. But someone on a team or in an organization harbors secret resentment and in ways that Kind of defy being observed or quantified, effectiveness is then compromised or in some cases completely destroyed. In each of these examples and others that we could think of, effectiveness is compromised and most of the time the people involved are miserable, whether they know the reason why they're miserable or not. Division is dangerous and destructive Not only for businesses and sports teams, but division is dangerous and destructive to churches. Which is why the Bible warns against it. And the Bible does do that. Here's what Titus uh, 3, 9 through 11 say. Very good. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments, and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. That instruction comes to us at the end of a section in your Bibles that's probably captioned in most of your Bibles is something like doing what is good. And verse 8, just preceding what we read of Titus 3, sets the instructions of verses 9 through 11 clearly within the context of cooperating with one another to do good. Which means that the Bible sees division... As an enemy of doing good. Because it will compromise and even destroy the ability to accomplish good things together. Division compromises effectiveness and it makes everyone miserable. Which is why the Bible warns against it. And the Bible also commends and encourages even insists on believers walking in unity. I want you to consider just a few verses, there are more that we could share, but a few verses that commend, encourage, and insist on unity within the church. The first one is 1 Corinthians 1.10. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and you may be perfectly united in mind and thought." Now, we're quick to read over things and not really think about what we're reading. So let me highlight that this is really strong language that Paul uses here. I appeal. There should be no divisions. The goal is to be perfectly united in mind and thought. Unity is important. It's commended. It's encouraged. I think it's fair in, in reading this verse. I think it's fair to conclude that Paul is insisting on unity. Ephesians 4, 1-16 through 16 is a section of scripture we're not going to take the time to read today, but I encourage you to read through it this week. Most of your Bibles will caption that section of Scripture with a heading something like unity in the body of Christ. And as you work through those verses, you find that they appeal for unity among believers and they appeal for unity among believers and the leaders that God raises up among them. And then you find in verse 12 of that section of Scripture that this appeal to unity is made in large part Toward the objective of God's people being prepared for works of service. And each member of the body doing their part toward accomplishing the purposes for which the church exists. So unity is commended, it's encouraged, it's even insisted upon. Unity is tied to the accomplishing of the works of service we're called to. And then Psalm 133.1 tells us something else. About the importance of unity. Here's what that verse says How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Whereas division makes everyone miserable, unity is a pleasant thing, unity is a joyful thing, unity brings peace, it is a peaceful thing. And so unity increases effectiveness and it brings joy and peace. So any team or organization in any church has to reject division and work to maintain unity. And so it is toward the goal of maintaining unity that I share this message today. Uh, I'm going to highlight some foundational things about Vineyard Christian Church that are things that we all must, if this is our home, That we all must be unified about. That we must be in agreement about if we're going to walk in unity. These things I'll highlight today are things that are going to help us to achieve and maintain unity. They are how we give ourselves the best chance to be effective by being of one mind about these things. And they are how we will have joy and peace as we work together in our fallen world... For the glory of God. Now I can sense that you're all nervous today. At least I think I sense that. And so I want you to know that I'm not preaching this because of any known division in the church. I don't have any knowledge of any current situations of open or known division. So as far as I know, this message is not meant to try to restore unity. This message is meant to try to preserve and maintain unity and remind us before we have a problem of how we maintain unity. That's the intention of the message based on what is factually known. But if I'm to be honest with you, and I am an honest person, so I'm going to be honest with you, I'd have to say that while there are no known cases of division within the church, it is my sense that there may be some secret divisions within our body. So now you're nervous again. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there may be situations where even though someone hasn't gone public, in ways that are unspoken or quietly spoken they're not walking in unity with their church. Maybe it's someone who has a personal conflict with another member of the body and in disobedience to God and with disregard for the unity of the body, they refuse to try to work through it. Maybe it's someone who knows the beliefs and values of VCC. They say that they affirm them, but they aren't honoring those beliefs and values in their own life. Maybe even undermining them in whispers that have avoided the attention of leaders. Maybe it's someone who secretly disrespects a leader in the church. You're serving in a ministry, but for whatever reason, you don't respect the leader that's trying to lead you. And so they ask things of you and you give lip service to what they ask, but then you do whatever you want. Or you find yourself turning away from them and as you do, you roll your eyes. Or whatever the case may be. All of these types of things... Are destructive to unity. All of these things are examples of divisions that should not exist within the church. And all of these things, even unknown to others, can compromise effectiveness and make everyone involved miserable. Because even things that aren't publicly known can have a corrosive effect on a church, can have a destructive impact on the church. And so toward maintaining unity, or reclaiming unity if there's unspoken and unknown division, I want to share five ways that we maintain unity, increase our effectiveness, and do so while having peace and actually enjoying working together. How many of you got the handouts as you came in today? There were two handouts. Okay, if you did not get them, um, you'll probably be all right during the service without them, but I want to appeal to you to make sure you get them as you leave today. And there's a, excuse me, there's a round table uh, right impeding your egress out out of the uh, sanctuary. Uh, Stop and pick up both of those uh, documents as you leave here today, uh, please. The, The handouts that Uh, those of you have, or hopefully everyone will have before you leave, include our statement of faith, seven commitments of members, the three purposes of the church, our mission statement, our vision statement, and our 2020 vision. All right? So let's get started. The first way that a church maintains unity is is by each and every member of the church affirming the same beliefs and values. This is covered in member commitments 1 and 2, and the beliefs are provided in our statement of faith. Now, you have the statement of faith in your handout. We're not going to show that on the screen, but you have it. And I want to read member commitments 1 and 2. I think they're up there. I'm not going to be able to fully explain all of this today, but I'm going to touch on some some highlights. So member commitment number one is you are committed to our statement of faith. We are orthodox, we are evangelical, we are empowered evangelicals. But for the purposes today, the main thing that I want you to understand is that 12-point statement of faith that was handed out to you as you came in today, you are committed to that as a member here. Okay, so that's the main thing. You, you commit that you affirm that statement of faith. Member commitment number two. As a member here, you are committed to following the leadership set by the lead pastor and elders. And you're committed to Vineyard's mission and vision, faith and value statement, 2020 vision, and supportive of our church, uh, our form of church uh, government. Now, again, I can't get into all of that today, but the parts that I want to stress is you follow leadership and you support these various statements. You affirm those and you agree with those and you give yourself to those. So let's talk for a minute about the statement of faith. This is as elementary and foundational as it gets. We as a body of believers must affirm the same beliefs. If we do not, we cannot walk in unity with each other. And so what you need to do is realize what an important document this is. And if you're not familiar with it, become familiar with it this week if you're a member here. Now here's the truth. The Bible is a really big book. And there is a lot of stuff in it that we can come to different interpretations about. There's a lot of stuff in it that we can see differently, that we can have different convictions about. But there are some things that we simply must agree on if we're going to walk in unity. Our statement of faith represents those essential things that we must agree on if we're going to be able to walk in unity with each other. Now let me be clear. If you're not a member here... Even if you have attended here for a long time, even if you're regularly in service, you are under no obligation to affirm our beliefs and values. We welcome everyone here as long as you come with a posture of openness to what God wants to do in your life. And so even if you currently disagree with us on a whole range of issues, you are welcome to come to church here. We, we welcome you. But for those who are members We maintain unity by affirming the same beliefs and values. And this statement of faith represents the essential beliefs that we must hold if we're going to walk in unity. These are what you should consider to be non-negotiables. And they really are non-negotiables. Now let me give you an example of why this is so important. Why we have to walk in unity on these things. One of our beliefs is that Christ is the only way that people can be saved if you don't actually believe that or if you only give lip service to that but in the privacy of your own mind you've come to believe that everyone is actually saved whether they come to faith in Christ or not if that is true of you you'll undermine some of the most important reasons for our church to even exist even if you're not openly divisive if you believe that, you're never going to pray for someone to come, in, come to faith in Jesus. You'll never witness to someone. You'll never share the gospel. You're unlikely to invite someone to church unless it's just for the social aspects of being a part of, of the church. And in doing these things or not doing these things, you'll undermine our effectiveness because something that is of central importance to us, something that is central to what we're trying to accomplish is something you don't even believe is true. So we maintain unity, fulfill our calling, and increase our effectiveness by affirming the same beliefs and values. By the way, I only printed out our beliefs today just because I couldn't cover everything. But on our website, if you go there, you'll see a listing of our values. And it would be great for you to check those out as well. And so if you're a member here, read through that statement of faith. Make sure that you're able to affirm each and every item uh, on it. And if you can't, here's what I appeal to you to do. Make an appointment to come and meet with me, and let's discuss the area or areas where you're currently unable to walk in unity with your church. The second way a church maintains unity and fulfills its calling is that each member of a church and each member of this church must be committed to spiritual growth. This is covered in member commitments three and seven, so let's read those. Do we have member commitments three and seven? Okay, number three. As a member, we are committed to staying in touch with Jesus. By joining Vineyard Pataskala, you're saying you're born again by God's Spirit and are committing yourself to continued spiritual growth. Number seven. Committed to follow the moral teachings of the Bible and agrees to the challenge procedure outlined by Jesus in Matthew 18, should there be a marked ongoing deviation from biblical morality Understanding that any challenge would only happen in a gracious, loving, and redemptive way. So member commitment three uh, says that everyone who calls this your church home is committed to staying in touch with Jesus. This is hugely important for walking in unity for all kinds of reasons. But let me just highlight one of them. When we stay in touch with Jesus... We improve our chances of continuing to believe the right things. We increase the likelihood that we'll keep things in proper perspective and not give in to the temptation to be distracted and annoyed about unimportant matters. You know, the closer we stay in touch with Jesus, the more we don't really care about things like what color carpet the leaders choose for the church. Or which kind of mints are on either side of the stage. For those of you who don't know, there's a little civil war in the church about the mints. One side is peppermint, the other side is wintergreen. And for demonstration today, I almost mixed them up. <laughs> but I thought, okay, that would just be going too far. That would be, that would be pushing people way too far. So this is actually a fun thing. I don't know which side is which, but some people here really know which side is which. If you need guidance on the mints, you can ask my wife uh, or Heather. She knows. I think think a lot of you know, actually. Anyway, staying in touch with Jesus helps us keep things in our proper perspective. When we're staying in touch with Jesus, we're going to care more about the lost. We're going to care more about Meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters. When we're staying in touch with Jesus, here's a really important one. This is a very important one. We're not going to burn out as easily in our ministry involvement. Because we're serving in his power and finding our service joyful. Instead of serving in our power out of obligation. That's what happens when you stay in touch with Jesus. Many of the problems that occur in churches and cause division are simply because people are not staying in touch with Jesus. And when they don't, they end up with a very worldly perspective on things, and they get out of sorts in all kinds of destructive ways. And I want to spend just a minute on uh, number seven. Number seven, which is one that often really shakes people up in the membership class. Number seven, it highlights each member's willingness to submit to accountability to the church should their life depart in a serious way from biblical morality. This, again, is important for many reasons, including protecting the reputation of the church. But I want to stress the following reason. Fundamental to being a Christian is the recognition that we must step off the throne of our lives. And we must allow Christ to have his rightful place on the throne of our lives. And what Christians understand is that the church family is here in large part to help us keep Christ On the throne of our lives and so here's what I think is true always if a believer is unwilling to be accountable to the Christian community when serious departure from biblical morality has occurred in their life and it becomes known within the community that believer has become a law unto themselves they're the kind of person that the book of Judges writes about one who always does what is right in their own eyes And those kind of people are not able to walk in unity with anyone ever because the only authority they have in their lives is themselves. And so we walk in unity by being committed to spiritual growth, by being committed to staying in touch with Jesus, and by being willing to be accountable to our fellow believers. The third way a church maintains unity and fulfills its calling is that we all share the same purposes, mission, and vision. This is covered in multiple items that are on your handouts. It's covered in Member Commitment 2, which we've already looked at. It's covered in the three purposes of the church. It's covered in our mission and vision statement. And it's covered in our 2020 vision. These are all extremely important documents. We absolutely have to be committed to the same purposes, mission, and vision if we're going to be in unity and if we're going to fulfill our calling. So let's look first at the three purposes for which the church exists. There they are ministry to God, we exist to worship God, ministry to each other, other believers. We largely categorize this as care and discipleship and ministry to the world, people who do not yet know Christ. And that ministry largely is evangelism and mercy. Everything that we do as a church should fall into one of those three categories. And I I think, I at least hope, because I'm not going to take the time to explain it today, but I I think it should be self-evident why it matters that we agree on that. In addition to the three purposes of the church, we we must share in common, we must all be committed to the mission of the church. And at vineyard Christian Church, here is our mission. Vineyard Christian Church exists to introduce people to Christ, develop them into maturing disciples of Jesus, who will then continue that process with others. Okay? So to be in unity, to be effective, we have to share that mission. And here's the key. Here, here's part of what sharing that mission means. It means that we go to work in some way toward the fulfillment of that mission. And here's an important thing. And, and there's nothing I'm saying today that I mean to be like, um, like I, I'm not trying to come off as a tough guy or you know be like, You know, like super confrontational or anything like that. That's not my intention. I understand some of these things may feel that way a little bit, but it's not my intention. This is just matter of fact. This is something that's really important. You cannot have your own personal mission statement for your church. You, you, You just can't do that. You cannot do that. You have to put your support behind the mission statement that the church already has. That's why we tell you about it when you become a member. So we share the same purposes. We share the same mission statement. And perhaps nothing around here is more important for us to share than our vision statement, which summarizes our mission statement in an easily memorized way. And it also gives us a picture, a vision, of what success or fruitfulness as a church looks like. And so here's our vision statement as a church. It's very simple. If you are a member here, you should have this memorized. Connecting people with God and each other. Say, Brian, how do you expect us to know that? When did you tell us about it? Look on your bulletin. (laughs) Look look on your bulletin. It's there every single week reminding you of what we told you in the membership class. Connecting people with God and in each other. If you're a member here, you have a responsibility to know that and to work toward helping people connect with God and each other. If someone asks you out in the community, hey, where do you go to church? And you say, I go to the vineyard. And they come back at you with one of these questions. Hey, what are, what are you guys about over there? That's your answer. We're trying to connect people with God and each other. That's what we're doing We have to share this in common, and we have to all be working toward this. You know, a restaurant may have a vision of providing excellent food at an affordable price, and to pull that off, the entire staff has to be united in pursuing that. If one line cook decides that it doesn't matter if he pays attention to what he's cooking or not, and so he throws a bunch of food in the trash every night, that's going to be a problem. Everybody has to be Supportive of the vision, working toward the vision. Uh, A football team has a goal of winning their division, getting into the playoffs, winning the playoffs, winning the Super Bowl. Everybody on the team has to be united in pursuing that vision if they have any chance of fulfilling it. For Vineyard Christian Church, our vision, our goal is that people would connect with God and each other. Everyone who is a member here has to share that and be involved in working Toward the fulfillment of that. That's how we walk in unity. That's how we increase effectiveness. We push in the same direction. We're working together, clear about our goal, and committed to our goal. And so we invite people to church because we want them to connect with God. We run down a visitors, they're headed to their car because we want them to connect with other people. And since we're other people, we want them to connect with us. And so we run them down. I ran Amy Hall down when they first visited the church. And here she is. What is it? Twelve years later. Still here. Forever. Yes, I like that. We're unified about what we're doing. We're united in our purposes, united in our mission, united in our vision. I've also included in your handouts our 2020 vision. We're not going to take the time to go over it, it's pretty lengthy, but I've included that. It was a vision for the next 5 years of our church that I presented in early 2016. It excuse me, it outlined what we what I believed the church was supposed to look like at the end of 2020. Now some of the twenty twenty vision has been accomplished. We've completed the building expansion that was part of the twenty twenty vision. By the way, let me stop here. Did you all notice the completed playground as you came in today? <laughs> wasn't that wasn't that nice? I want to thank Terry Seiss, who has headed up that entire project. Give Terry a, a big hand. Many of the men helped at different phases of this, but the other that I want to, and I'm more thankful for all of you, the other one I want to specifically mention is Terry Lingo, uh, who built the playset portion of the playground, which is just excellent. Thank you, Terry. So we completed the building expansion that was part of the 2020 vision. Some of the things in the 2020 vision that talk about the kind of church that we want to be. I think we either are that kind of church or we're making strides to be that kind of church. So I think there is there is some progress uh, on the 2020 vision. But on the numerical goals that I set before us as part of the 2020 vision, the truth of the matter is that we're further from the realization of those goals. We are further from the completion of that vision, the realization of that vision, than we were at the start of 2016 When I presented it, I was just being honest, it's not something I I like sharing, but it's just the truth. But I present it to you again today because I still believe that I was supposed to share that vision for our church. And I still believe that vision is supposed to become a reality. And I still believe that that vision can become a reality. Now, it's possible that it ends up being a 2021 vision. It's possible that it ends up being a 2023 vision. (laughs) But I still believe it can be fulfilled and should be fulfilled. I'll say something that might surprise many of you. I even believe it could be fulfilled by the end of 2020 like it was originally envisioned to be. And the best opportunity for that to happen is if every member took this 2020 vision today, read through it, embraced it, prayed about it, and said, I am consistently going to pray toward the fulfillment of this vision, and I'm going to roll up my sleeves and start helping to make this a reality. Now we're going to have some real honest talk here. There are a lot of possible reasons Why we haven't seen the fulfillment of this vision yet. Here's one. It could be that I thought the vision was something that was pleasing to the Lord and from the Lord. But perhaps I was wrong. I say that sincerely. That could be a possibility. I don't hear God perfectly, just like none of us do. I don't think that's the case. But I don't know everything. So it's a possibility. It could be this. It could be that God's going to demonstrate his power in a really dramatic way. By taking us right up to the last minutes and then fulfilling the vision in a very short period of time. I'm really open to that one. (laughs) Two thumbs up for that one. Or it could be that it hasn't been fulfilled because there's been secret division about the 2020 vision. It could be that some people rolled their eyes at the vision. It could be that some people said, Brian just wants a big church. It could be that some people said, I don't want five people, 500 people around here. That's a bigger church than I like. I like this church just the size it is. Which actually I know that one exists because I've heard it. Actually multiple times. Maybe some thought setting numerical goals is so unspiritual. Failing to realize that every every number represents a person that is going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell And that's why numerical goals actually are very spiritual. Maybe some had an attitude that said that's unrealistic. Maybe some thought, 350 people going to home groups? I don't even go to one myself. What do I care if anybody goes to a home group or not? Hence the problem. If anyone responded that way, let me make it more personal. If you responded that way, then you are responsible for division and disunity that could very likely have, and almost certainly has, compromised our effectiveness. Maybe that's the reason It hasn't been fulfilled. Secret disunity. Secret division. Here's an important part of what it means to be a member of VCC. We share the same purpose, mission, and vision, including embracing the 2020 vision. You have a responsibility to be committed to these things if this is your church. If you are a member here and you are not committed to these things, you should make an appointment this week to meet with me and discuss it. And what I'm about to say, I want to just remind you again, I'm I'm not trying to be a tough guy up here today, okay? But this next thing needs to be said, and so I'm going to say it. If you're a leader in our church and you're not in unity about these things. You should either allow God to change your heart so that you can embrace these things and walk in unity. I mean, let's be honest, it should be easy to support a vision of more people coming to Christ, being baptized and getting involved in community and discipleship, which summarizes everything that's in any of these documents. So if you're not in unity about something, you need to either allow God to change your heart and get in unity But if you can't, and I say this very sincerely, you should be honest about where you're at and you should immediately resign from your leadership position. Yes, unity is that important. Thank you. (laughs) Here's the fourth way that we maintain unity and fulfill our calling. It's going to continue to be fun around here. (laughs) We respect the role of leaders, and we support our leaders. This is covered in Member Commitment 2, which we've already read, so I'm not going to read it again. But it specifically mentions following the leadership of the senior pastor and elders. But the principle extends to anyone who is a leader within the church. Now the vast majority of people here at VCC, from what I can tell, do an absolutely wonderful job of respecting the role of leaders and supporting leaders. Ministry leaders, connect group leaders, and from what I can tell, most of you do a great job of respecting my role and supporting me in that role. But all of us who lead only know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. We don't know if people that We are leading, are going around behind our backs and speaking badly about us. We don't know that unless someone tells us that. We don't know if we ask you to do something and you turn away from us and roll your eyes as you walk away from our interaction. We maintain unity within the church by respecting the role of leaders, supporting leaders, making ourselves easy to lead. Doing what we say we'll do. Doing so with a good attitude. Following through on our commitments. Not saying, hey, I'll help you out. And then five minutes before we're supposed to help someone out, yeah, can't do it. By praying for our leaders, Sunday school teachers. You respect Tanya's role and support her in that role by actually reading through the lesson plan in the week leading up to Sunday. Not feverishly trying to figure out what you're doing as students walk into the class. Welcome team members. You respect and support your leaders by showing up one time. Taking your commitment seriously. Not calling off unless it's like truly you can't Possibly avoid calling off. Women's ministry team members, you respect and support Melissa's leadership by doing what you say you'll do, when you say you'll do it, and by praying for Melissa regularly. Congregation, you respect and support my leadership in all these ways, in the same ways as you do other leaders, and by buying into our purpose, mission, and vision, by embracing the 2020 vision and working toward it, Understanding the importance of unity for effectiveness, peace and joy. Now I, Now I have one more difficult thing to say before we escape the, the phase of the sermon that has a lot of difficult things to say. One more difficult thing to say. An important way that we respect and support leaders is by dealing with them honestly. And another important way that we respect leaders is by being receptive to their guidance and even their correction. So if you know in your heart that you have something against a leader, or if you are unwilling to be guided or corrected by a leader, you need to go to them quickly and get right with them. Almost everything can be worked out. And so you should try to work it out. But if you can't work it out, if you can't get to the place where you can offer that leader the respect they deserve, the honesty they deserve, the willingness to be guided and even corrected by them, if you can't get there for whatever reason, then you need to do that leader the courtesy of stepping down from that area of service until you can follow their leadership joyfully. You say, Brian, do you really want to say that in a church that's struggling with volunteerism? I do want to say that. Because here's what I'm convinced of. We'll do better with fewer people who are into it and cooperative than more people who aren't into it and hold secret resentments against folks trying to lead them. So I do want to say that. And you should do that. And we'll adjust however we need to adjust. And in the long run, we'll probably see our effectiveness increased. Here's the truth, friends. Even unspoken negativity has a corrosive effect on ministry teams and churches, just as it does on businesses, teams, and any type of organization. Now, I'm starting to press the limits of the amount of time that I know you can listen to me. (laughs) We are are almost finished, I assure you. We are almost finished. But I do want to mention the fifth way that a church maintains unity. We each fulfill our commitments. This is how we maintain unity. We fulfill our commitments and do what our church does. This is covered in the entire seven uh, Seven Commitments of Members document. And it is specifically covered in member commitments four, five, and six, which I think should be showing on the screen behind me or will be. We walk this out by honoring those commitments and simply being involved in the life of the church, as I've taken to describing this in the last few weeks by doing what our church does. Now, I'm pretty much out of time, so let me just highlight these things that are on the seven commitments of members. We maintain unity, increase our effectiveness, fulfill our calling these ways. By fulfilling our commitment to attend Sunday worship services. By observation, it looks like Vineyard Christian Church did really well today. Good job. But you don't always do well. So you need to get to church regularly if this is your church home. You really do. You really do. We all miss for various reasons. I'm going to miss in a few weeks to go to a Bengals game. We, we all miss for various reasons. But, but you should not be missing church on a regular basis. You just shouldn't if this is your church home. By fulfilling our commitment to be involved in a small group. By fulfilling our commitment to serve in ministry. We don't want to work anybody to death here. But we do want every single member committed to being involved in ministry in some capacity. That, like, that's, that's how we walk in unity. And that's what you agreed to. And by fulfilling our commitment to give financially to the work of God through our local church. I'm not going to say a lot about that today, but this isn't true just of our church. It's true of any church. 20% of members in any given church usually don't give a dime to the church. And that should not be that way. And usually it's somewhere between another 40 and 60% who don't give anything that even approximates the the basic level of giving commitment we ask for here, which is substantial giving. And so we walk in unity by doing these things, doing what the church does, placing our kids in the ministries that are designed to serve them, participating in fellowship events, making our church the center of our life and fellowship. This is how we walk in unity. So I'm wrapping this up. I just want to appeal today. The entirety of this message is an appeal for every member of VCC to be all in. For every member of VCC to have an owner mentality. To have an owner mentality. The things that Jesus calls his church to do and each local church to do are big things. It's true that we can't do them in our own strength. It's true that we're dependent on God for them to be accomplished. But he works through us. We have to be available. We have to be willing. We have to cooperate with each other. We have to walk in unity as we're called in the scriptures to do. And so I'm appealing to every member to embrace each of these five ways that we maintain unity and fulfill our calling. Embrace them, be all in with them, have an owner mentality about them. I'm appealing to you to know what you need to know as a member and to do what you need to do as a member. Everything we've covered today, a member needs to know this stuff. You may not be able to recite it verbatim. I I can't do that myself. But you need to have a good general knowledge of everything that we've covered today. And you need to have embraced it and you need to be committed to it. And so if you're currently not in unity with something I've shared today or with all of what I've shared today, I'm just appealing to you to come into unity with these things. There's nothing that's been shared here today you shouldn't be able to embrace and support and give yourself toward. There really isn't. This is not questionable stuff. The worst that you can find in anything I've shared are a few subjective things, like our numerical goals. But it's within the scope of responsibility of leaders to set such goals. So get behind what's been shared. Walk in unity with your church. For each of our individual good, for your own good, And for the good of the entire church, for the peace and joy that we should be able to maintain as brothers and sisters in Christ working toward a common goal, and for the good of the world that needs us to be effective and fulfill our calling, I appeal, let's walk in unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Let's stand.